So a couple weeks ago, I, um, I traveled back to my hometown. I, I haven't spent a lot of time in my hometown. It's called the Quad Cities. There's four cities kind of lumped together that straddle the Mississippi River, uh, two on the one side, two on the other side. And uh, I grew up on the Illinois side of the Mississippi River. And I haven't, I went to college there. So I, you know, I grew up there, spent four years in college, and then left. And since then, I haven't been back a lot. Uh, I haven't been back to my uh, college, uh, I don't know, for 15 years or so. I don't know, I don't know what that's about, but uh, I, I guess that's just how, how my life kind of uh, ended up. We, we launched out and started a family and did some traveling. And a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, I ended up traveling back to my hometown to spend some time with my parents who live there still and uh, spent some time with them. And there was a, a basketball game happening at my alma mater. They were in the final four of the NCAA Division Three, And so we were going to go and uh, check that game out. And my fa- I was with my dad in his car, and they live about 30 minutes away from town now, where I grew up. And so we started driving in and driving through town. And all these memories started flooding back into my mind. Of And it was almost geographical. Like, it's like I had forgotten little pieces of who I was until I came across a little geographical landmark that spurred it on. And so we were going along, and right in the, you know, halfway through the journey, I get to this place where there was this kind of block that flooded me with memories. Like all sorts of, um, all sorts of memories came back. Like there's the coffee shop that I was like on a date with, with a girl who was way out of my league, and I was gonna, and I was gonna tell her that I liked her, and I chickened out. And then there was like, then there was the volleyball courts across the street where that one time, years later, we uh, had a volleyball game and the pouring down rain and we all got soaked. And there's the basketball gymnasium of my high school where, you know, I learned that I I wasn't a basketball player. (laughs) And on it went and just sort of, and as we got closer to my university, then the college days started coming back. And isn't it funny how geography can be so connected to memories and they can flood back when... When we're, uh, when we're experiencing them. And uh, as, as I was thinking about that a couple weeks ago and thinking about this morning, uh, this is just sort of beautiful convergence of ideas because we're talking about the disciples after the resurrection of Jesus, spending some time, five or six weeks, we're on week four. If you've missed any of the previous messages, they're all online, you can see them on the podcast. Um, and... Uh, right in the middle, smack dab, of, of trying to um, think about the earliest church right after the resurrection. I mean, the people who encountered the resurrected Jesus. The, the, the Bible says, uh, the scriptures say that Jesus lived among them for 40 days after he was resurrected, opening their minds and teaching them, and um, all sorts of things happened. And so trying to spend some time with them, and one of the things... Um, well, many things that we learn and that we've been diving into is just how much they needed one another in that time. They needed one another, and they needed one another's vulnerability. They needed each other not to be crusty shells of people, but truly leaning and trusting one another, and how their own faith, and some of their own faith, even though they could see the risen Jesus, some of their own faith needed one another to, to discern the hidden Jesus among them, uh, about how there was unbelief in the early community, and doubts and faith and all sorts of different responses and how we need to watch out for unbelief as it, as it 
springs up among us, but doubt is something completely different. That's of, of, uh, of a being of two minds uh, versus the kind of the unbelief, which is even if I see Jesus, even if he, I, I can have an undeniable experience with the living God, I won't believe because I'm so sort of de- defending my own kingdom. So unbelief and doubt is different in how we as a church today probably have to have the same gentleness that Jesus had with all sorts of different expressions of our faith and doubt and um, how questions are so important in the midst of that. They were, in the early days, surprised and vexed and swinging across their emotions and getting their minds open. And they had this unfiltered access to Jesus' selfless love. Like there he was, selfless love embodied before them, and they had this unfiltered access to him. And as I've been going through all this, I've been saying, there's, there's been something that's been on my mind as well, not just a, a historical lesson of what happened back then, but how does it hit us today? How do we as the people of faith perhaps get back to some of those uh, experiences of the resurrected Jesus? Because we can. Uh, we can become uh, the type of disciples that went out and changed the world. And in the process, one of the things I'm hoping for or inviting us to think about is healing as a community. You know, I think that you know, I'm so happy that we're not a toxic church. <laughs> there are lots of toxic churches, to be honest. We're not that. Um, and, and we're actually a pretty good congregation. Like, there's lots to be proud of here. But there is some healing to be done. And I'm, I'm, I'm having in one of my part of my mind that, you know, hopefully through this process we can continue healing as a church and do, doing some healing. So uh, we'll get into more of this as, as we go. Uh, so the disciples, they had seen the risen Jesus, right? Uh, and went back to their, their old lives, okay? This is what we're into today. They'd seen the risen Jesus. There was an encounter with an angel. They, he'd, he'd appeared to them, showed them his scars, and then was gone for a while. And, it, and as, as they were on this mountaintop of seeing the risen Lord and then maybe not experiencing or seeing him for a while, they started to get a bit disaffected. They started to get a bit bored. They got disoriented. They didn't know what to do. And so we, we, the, the story closes in Jerusalem with Jesus having these miraculous appearances. And then the curtain opens again on the last scene of the Gospels with the disciples back home in Galilee, fishing, not knowing what to do, maybe a bit sad or bored or confused. Who knows? It's a, it's a really strange ending to the Gospel of John, which, which we're in. And as that translates to today, what we're going to get into today is this. What do you do when you've had an undeniable spiritual high and find yourself now disoriented and not impressed and feeling far from God? Or what if ha- happens with a whole group of people? What do you do then? Uh, and especially the way this, this hits us, not just in the church community, but actually this is, a lot of this is going to be true for your personal life and relationships as well. Um, what do you do, well, just thinking in the terms of the church, what do you do when, when you feel like you're not connected in a church spiritually? Or that you're just going through the motions and you're just kind of, you're not even feeling it all. Um, and that, that stuff is kind of happening here with or without you. And 
then maybe you start seeing some ugly sides of church. Uh, this, is, this is a common experience. And what happens when, when you feel outside or bored or uh, not part of what's happening, you start going, well, maybe this isn't the church for me. And we call what happens next church hopping or church shopping. And I think that's, that's a kind of a common experience. And so we're going to get into that today. That's, that's the, the sharp edge for us today of what the disciples must have experienced as they went back and maybe sort of missed it for a while. So what I'm going to do today is um, I'm going to get extremely practical with this. I think I'm just going to take this moment to get extremely practical with how we go about deciding if and how we're called to a specific church. And if, if you're part of this church, great. Like, this is going to be helpful for you. If you're not part of this church or just visiting this week, this is going to be helpful for you, too. Uh, but listen, if you're not a churchgoer at all, if this is your maybe the one time you came and you'll maybe never come to church again, what's gonna, what I'm going to say today, even though it's kind of very practical, is going to be translatable to any organization or community that you're in. Uh, so that's, that's the setup. That's the... That's where we're going today. So we get to the, the back to the scriptures here. Uh, we get to the first day of the resurrection. Uh, the disciples woke up that first day. It was going to be a day of mourning, like a couple days after a family member had died, and you've just had the funeral, and you're still together with your family. They're going to wake up for a day of mourning, but they get to the tomb and it becomes the anti-funeral day. Jesus is alive. He's not there. They see an angel announcing that all that was dead in their life, all that they thought had died, was actually now alive. Jesus appeared to them, opening their minds in various disguises, by the way. That's an important point. He's always disguising himself. But then he slowly reveals himself to his, his, his friends. Um, and what happens is, is what they begin realizing in the, in the face of the risen Jesus is that all fear, all fear, especially the fear of death, is now recast, reshaped in the image of a live, resurrected person. So, uh, like I said, the curtain closes on that scene. And, and, and we, uh, we, get, we meet them here on the shores of Galilee. They've, they've gone back home. We actually meet them on the shores of Galilee where the story all began. That's where it began, next to the sea. And they're there, and they hadn't seen Jesus in a while. And they weren't sure that maybe, was that all real? Was that, was that, was that, did that really happen? Or if it really happened, what do we do now? We're, we're lost. We're, we're, we're disoriented. And they're, they're by the sea on which Jesus had walked and under which Jesus calmed a storm. Oh, by the way, Peter ended up walking on this lake. He's here. They, they, this is the lake that they, they saw Jesus take two fish and make it into 5,000 fish. Okay? So their, their geography is, surely had all these memories. Um, just the physical location was, was probably the, jarring all these memories. And all the confusing teachings that he did and all the healings, all the demon-possessed people that he healed, all the humanity restored, is now sort of shaped and overshadowed or made clear by the resurrection. And so here they are at 11 p.m. or so. Kids are in bed. 
and they're saying to themselves, uh, what are we going to do? And they're sitting by a campfire. And it says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Jesus is going to show up again. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Like, they're not there to restart their lives. You can, they're just sort of, they don't know what to do. And Peter's like, I know, I know what to do. I know how to fish. He's a fisherman. I'm going fishing. And then they said to him, okay, we'll go with you. And they went out and they got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. So there's two things to me that stand out here. The first is this. Uh, we get the impression that they're aimless, purposeless. They don't know what to do with themselves. I mean, how? How is that possible? They spent three years with Jesus. All the teachings, all the clear teachings about how they're going to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing everyone. It's clear, right? How are they now just sort of perplexed? I don't know. This is a mystery. But isn't this human nature? We have these deep experiences. We get excited about something. We get involved. And then it begins to sort of drift and fade. And we're not sure if that was real in the first place. This is, this is a human experience. Uh, but the second thing is this, they're still together. They haven't left one another. Something happened by being part of a faith community, of going out and mission together and following Jesus to help change the world. They have an undeniable bond that the, that's unbreakable at this point. Um, and uh, here they are together out fishing. And what happens is this, just after daybreak, they see a figure on the shore. And Jesus is standing there, and he's somehow disguised. And we know this because later on, when, when they get to the shore, it says none of his disciples dared ask if it was Jesus, because they all knew. What a weird thing to say. That probably means that he was in some sort of disguise still. Like, he, he was doing things and showing them stuff, but they... It was him. They, they, they knew in their heart it was him. It couldn't be anyone else. But he was somehow different. And I think this, either he was disguised or his resurrected body was so hard to comprehend, this new body he had, that, uh, that here he was on, you know, on, the, on the shore, this, this figure. And so Jesus calls out to them. And he says, children, calls them children. Children, have you no fish? And they're like, no. I don't know if this is a fisherman thing to do. Fishermen in town, town here would know. Like, do you, do you like call out when you see no fish in the other boat? Is that a nice thing? No, I don't think so. <laughs> Children, have you no fish? And Peter says, no, we haven't. And I think, I'm not a fisherman, but I'm, I'm suspecting that if you haven't caught a fish all night long, you're probably not going to catch one in the morning. It's probably not going to happen. So here they are, and Jesus says, children, have you no fish? And they say, no, we have no fish. He says, well, cast your nets. They have nets. They're, ca they're fishing with nets. Cast it on the other side. And they did so, and immediately there were so many fish in the net that they couldn't even haul it up. We, we learned that there's going to be 153 fish caught in this net. Um, and what happens next is the disciple whom Jesus loved, we don't know who this is, but the disciple whom Jesus loved who writes the book of John, is on the boat, and he gets it immediately. There's so many fish. It's Jesus. It's the Lord. And he says that. It's the Lord. And Peter, it says, 
Peter, without hesitating, oh yeah, there's a good picture. Peter, <laughs> sorry to be real, this is, this is, an, this is actually a bit doctored. Uh, Peter says he was fishing naked. Okay, that should bring us, why, why are you fishing naked, Peter? Okay, says he was fishing naked and he put on his underwear and put on his clothes and dived in the sea because he was so excited that Jesus was back. Okay, first of all, like, why put on clothes to go swimming? If... I'm not sure what was going through his mind, other than he had walked on this sea already once before. Maybe he thought, okay, I'm going to do it again. I don't know. So he gets in, he gets submerged, starts swimming. And it's like this. Here's how I take this. It's like Peter had unfinished business with Jesus before he left. Peter had denied Jesus three times, denied even knowing who he was, even though he was supposed to be the pillar on which the church was built. He denied knowing Jesus, which went against all of Jesus' teachings about believing in him. If you acknowledge me before humans, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. So Peter denies Jesus three times before he dies. And then Jesus, when he appears after he's resurrected, he doesn't come back to, he doesn't mention it. And Peter doesn't mention it. He's too ashamed, ashamed of it. And then Jesus left. And for anyone who's had unfinished business with a family member who's passed away or, 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 or moved away, you know what Peter's going through. So it's almost like he was hopelessly waiting for this moment, for Jesus to come back so he could finish the business of dealing with his rejection of Jesus. So he dives in. And it says the rest, the rest had uh, spent the time to drag the fish ashore. They're not going to let these fish go. Uh, they're going to drag, drag the fish ashore. And so Peter gets there first. And he's, there he is dripping in, in, you know, uh, on the beach with Jesus in front of him. It says, when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire, fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Jesus was cooking for them already. He was preparing a meal. But he says, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, went back to the boat, and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there was so many, the net was not torn. And a lot of different writers have tried to, to figure out, well, what does this mean? What is 153 fish? And it probably means something like completion, like, um, like this... There, there's something of complete about the number 153. Whatever that means, it's, it's kind of foggy. But we do know this. Uh, they were good fishermen, and they were not catching any fish. They were out spending their energy and doing all sorts of things, and it wasn't working for them. I think for a church community especially, and for individuals, when we spin our wheels doing something that's not, that Jesus hasn't called us to do, it's not going to go anywhere. We're not going to get anywhere. We're going to catch no fish. Jesus is like, I have called you, Peter, to be a fisher of human beings. I've called you out of that life. That was your old life. And no wonder you're being fruitless. I've called you to be a fisher of humans. So he's got to reset the mission here for them. Um, and here's where I'm going to just take a time. I'm going to take the moment here to go into something really practical for us all. It's going to take a bit, so it's going to stick with me. There's going to be lots of bullet points. I'm going to give some really practical advice on doing church uh, with some of these thoughts in mind. So when we do this faith community sometimes, sometimes we can feel off. We can feel like it's not going well, or it's misguided, or we're frustrated, 
where we begin to sense either we've missed something along the way and we've ended up way out in left field, or it's not going anywhere. We're spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and nothing's happening. Um, I've been in lots of churches that have felt like that. Or the leadership changes and new leaders come in and change things. Uh, and we aren't sure if we're oriented anymore to where we want to go. Or um, all sorts of things can happen. And then there comes a time when we either think, I'm not going to come anymore because it's misguided, or I'm going elsewhere. I'm going to go to another church. And uh, we forget one key central piece, that church isn't a product. Church isn't something that you just buy, and if you don't like it, you go somewhere else. Church is a calling. God calls us to particular churches for reasons. You are called as a person of faith to a church. And when you want to leave a church or go to another church, it's a matter of calling. Is, God, is, your, is your business done here? And are you called elsewhere? It's not a matter of, I don't like what's going on there, and so I'm leaving. You may be the very person with the very gift that a particular church needs to get back on track. So now I'm going to do a little teaching on this because I think I, I've got to know some pastors in Thunder Bay. I've been here two years. I don't know a lot, but I do know that there's been a lot of church hopping in Thunder Bay and probably for the worse. Uh, probably hasn't been for the better of the church in town. And if I dare to say this out loud, and here's where I'm going to get a bit squeamish or make you a bit squeamish. If I dare say this out loud, there may be some people who call themselves grassrooters who are called elsewhere, and that church is poorer for it. You're here, but not supposed to be. Can I say that? And there may be some people on other churches who are called here to grassroots, and we're poorer for it, because their giftings are elsewhere. So the question then becomes, how do you discern? How do you discern which church you're called to? How do you discern so that you don't spin your wheels catching nothing, but so that you can maybe cast your net on the other side somewhere and pull in 153 fish. So I'm going to go into some of this. Reasons why not to leave a church. And then some reasons why you should leave churches. Okay, I'm just going to get really practical here for you. Uh, and what, what, I, what I'm going to admit is that I've ripped a lot of this off the internet. If you Google this, should I leave a church or not? There's lots of good articles out there. So anyway, first reasons why not to leave a church. Your pastor isn't honest when he rips stuff off the internet. <laughs> okay, just kidding. Here's the, the most thing you'll hear. I'm not getting fed there. Um, this, is, this is a primarily consumeristic thought. Uh, I'm not getting fed at a place. I'm not getting the product and so I'm going to go find a place where I'm getting the product. Church is a place where we feed one another. Not give out. I'm going to actually go into this just a bit later, but uh, with more detail. Uh, but it's, it's the big one. Uh, or people aren't welcoming, and I can't find a place to serve. It's not a good reason to leave a church. If people aren't welcoming, become the one welcoming person in that church and teach everyone around you how to be welcoming. If you can't find a place to serve, don't leave because you can't find a place to serve. Keep finding that spot. Uh, churches need giftings. I'm beginning to see church far more like a powerful ostrich. 
who when they're doing their thing can carry a burden and sing a beautiful song and touch the heart of an aching world and sometimes sticks its head in the sand. But... <laughs> um, <laughs> But if you can't find a place to serve and, and contribute to this beautiful beast of burden, find a place. We, church needs you. It needs you. Um, the church is changing. It's not a good reason to leave. Uh, if your church isn't changing constantly, it's not doing what it needs to be doing. Our world is changing so fast that if, if your church isn't changing and gets stuck in the 1970s, let alone the 1990s, there's a problem. It's, the, it's a problem. Your church needs to be changing. And you know what? If things are changing too fast in the church that you're in and you, you can't keep up with it and you're thinking it's going too fast, it's usually because the leadership is being proactive with change rather than reactive, which is a really good thing if your leadership is being proactive. So it's not a good reason to leave because, okay, the church is changing. Here's another good reason why not to leave a church. It's either staying small. Okay, the church is too small. I don't like small churches. I'm leaving. Or it's getting too big. Oh, I don't like big churches. I'm leaving. Listen, churches can be big or small. Not, neither one is better. But what is, God, what is God doing with a church is the question. Uh, some churches are, are small, and that's what God is doing with it. Other churches are big, and that's what God is doing with it. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed and also like a giant tree who shelters all sorts of birds. Uh, the real question is, is my church healthy? Not big or small. Is it healthy? That's what we're after. Can we get more healthy as a church? And you know what? We have to deal with the fact that when things are healthy in this world, they grow. It's just the reality of healthy things. They grow. And so uh, it's not a good reason to leave a church. Or finally, it's not a good reason to leave the church because somebody has hurt your feelings. I think that happens a lot. Someone's hurt your feelings, you get a little bit on the defensive and you think, well, I'm leaving. And listen, having hard, difficult relationships and conversations is so, such a good thing. It's such a healthy thing to learn to have some conflict. If someone's hurt your feelings, you need, to, you need to talk to them about it and confront it. And here's what it adds, all adds up to if you're thinking about leaving your church to come here, listen, there, there are a lot of people right now in other churches who have, are coming on field trips here. <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's it's true. Like, that's, that's, that's a happy thing. That means we're getting healthy, and it's a good place, and that this is a healthy place to be. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm walking with trepidation because I'm like, are you called here or not? That's the question. Not do you like it here, not like where you're, are you called here? And, and maybe, they will, maybe they will be. But uh, it may not be time to change churches if you're experiencing any of those things. It might be time to change you. you might, there might be something in your life that you have to deal with or time for you to grow um, and you're running away from it. This is true in relationships, in your job, in society, and in churches. Um, here's what I find, that usually, people usually... Hightail uh, high out of situations, hard situations, right at the time of breakthrough. Right when something's about to break through, they can't deal with the uncomfortability anymore, so they're out. They, they, they leave. And I think this is what must have been happening with Peter and the disciples. Like, they're just about to change the world. 
just to, like, they're just about to go to the ends of the earth and give their lives and change the world. And uh, just right before the breakthrough, they're out. And Jesus has to come and meet them again, disguised on the shore of Galilee. Uh, I've seen it happen here. There are a few people that in the last year have left grassroots because of one of those things. And my heart breaks because I'm watching. I just sort of watch it happening in slow motion. They're just about to be at a breakthrough with their issue. And they can't deal with it anymore. So, boom, they're out. Uh, and, uh, and they don't want to grow. They don't want to deal with what it's bringing up inside of them. So God, it's gonna, God opens doors. God shows up when we least expect it. That's what we can learn from John 21. So uh, also leaving your church. I mean, you've built, you've built relationships. You've built friendships. Those are hard to leave. They're hard to start over. Uh, and God, at the end of the day, um, might just have you there for a reason at the particular church. So I love this quote. The church is not a marketplace where we pick the spiritual products we like. The church is a community that worships Jesus together, a family. See that? A community and a family who fight and have great times together and are bonded together. The church is a community that worships Jesus together, a family that cares for each other, and a team that goes out to bless others in Jesus' name. So here's my, here's my thought. If you're thinking about leaving your church, stay and reform it. Change it. And Here's how to do that. First, volunteer somewhere. Find a place to get involved. If you don't like the way your church is going or you think that someone's dropping the ball, pick the ball up, move it down the field. Uh, I'm going to talk about this next week in detail, especially with this church. Join a ministry team. The ministry team here at Grassroots are the step above volunteering. Volunteering is, tell me to do something. I'll do anything. The ministry team is, I want to help direct this church. I want to help shape the ministry and guide where it's going and be leading at that level. Um, I'm going to talk about this next week too. How to, just very practically, how to get on a ministry team. Join a ministry team. And number three, which I'll go into for the rest of the time today, is make your voice known. Because I think this is the hardest piece. People, don't, people have issues. They have problems. Someone's hurt them. They think something's going the wrong way. And so they, they, they don't know how to make their voice known. So I'm just going to give it to you straight. This church, how do you make your voice known? First, have at least three conversations with leadership. If you don't like the way a church is going, have at least three hard conversations where you feel like you've been heard fully. And if that happens and you're still not getting anywhere and you still feel like there's a wall, like, okay, maybe there's a calling issue. But unless you've given it three hard times of expressing your concern, uh, don't leave. Don't leave, a, don't leave a church, don't leave a relationship, don't leave a workspace. Have at least three hard conversations. Deal with your thoughts quickly and wisely. I've had someone tell me that something had been bothering them for nine months. <laughs> like that's nine months, eight months and 20 days too long. If, if there's something really bothering you, say it right away. Get it off your mind and get it out there. Because maybe you, ha- you see something that no one else sees. Um, do it quickly. I'm like freeing up my calendar in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Deal with your thoughts quickly and wisely. Next, complain up the chain of command. Don't, don't, give your, don't complain laterally. That is, if someone's not in charge of something, don't complain to your neighbor. Like, because your problem then becomes their problem, and then the community just does this 
unhealthy, everyone's complaining, but no one's saying anything. Thing. Chain, up the chain of command, which is to say, figure out who's in charge of a piece of ministry and tell them. And if they, if they don't listen to you, then go, keep going up. But don't go around. Go up. Chain, up the chain of command, not laterally. Uh, and you may eventually get to me. I want to hear your thoughts. You may eventually get to me. There's lots of people on the ministry teams who I will direct you to first. Uh, but if, you're not, if you don't, you may eventually get to me or the board. The board of trustees are my boss. The group of people who, you, group of you people who, who are stewarding the vision. Um, so make your voice known. So some advice talking to leadership of anything. Remember they have feelings. Leaders have feelings. Getting criticism hurts. It's not fun, especially when they've poured their life and energy into it. So remember they have feelings, and they also may go, be going through stuff in their life. If they're going, try to think about that. Try to think, what are they going through, and how can I, I don't, I'm not going to save their feelings so I don't speak the truth, but just remember that it's hard. Um, don't talk to their spouse as a third ear. <laughs> I like, I just kind of, I sort of get really uncomfortable when Eve comes to me and says, someone's come and said something to me and they want me to tell you. I'm like, I get so mad at that. And I feel so bad for Eve. Now Eve's, Eve, my wife, she's in charge of a couple of things like gig and she does some other stuff. If, she, if, if there's something that she's doing that you don't like, tell her. <laughs> uh, but don't tell her something to tell me. And same for other leaders in the church. Uh, I read an article, and this is, I'm just going to say this bluntly. I read an article online about this this week as I was researching, and it says this, and I think I agree. Trying to get through your leadership through their spouses is cowardly, if not malicious. Okay? Um, go, straight to the, go straight to the person. Um, don't talk to the pastor after their sermon. <laughs> I mean, talk to me, but don't come with, like, here's the four things that you did wrong. <laughs> like, I do want to hear those things. And if a pastor can't hear those things, they shouldn't be a pastor. Um, and I've learned to discern, are you saying it out of love? Or are you being malicious? Like, if you're being malicious, then I'm just not going to listen to you. But if you're saying things out of love, like, you got some stuff wrong, or the church isn't going well, like, I want to hear those things. But we're such in a fog after we preach that it's not going to, I'm not going to remember it anyway. So uh, get a coffee with me, um, or get a coffee with, with a leader. Uh, it's better to say something than nothing. You've got to say something. If you, if you have a thought, if you have a thing that, you're not, that, that you have an issue with, say it. And then if you're criticizing, please criticize. Criticizing is actually a good thing. We're being critical. We're getting better. We're trying to get better with one another. Uh, but then be ready to receive criticism back. Because the thing that you may be upset about may be your issue. And uh, if you're going to come with criticism, you've got to be ready to hear it back. Um, Sorry, I'm being practical here. I think we need to talk about these things. This is sort of maybe, if you're new here, this may be a bit of an in-house conversation. I should have warned you. Um, final, final bullet point list. If you think your leadership is toxic, it happens. If you think your leadership is toxic, you've got to confront them. And here's how to do it. You've got to pray first. Because if you're dealing with a toxic person, it's not going to go well. You pray. Seek confirmation Figure, am, I, am I out to lunch here, or is this actually, am I the only one that thinks this or not? Um, seek confirmation. Then talk with them. Go, go straight to the person you have an issue with and tell them your issue. Talk with them about it. 
Uh, and if they, if they don't, if that person doesn't hear you then, then you go up the chain of command. Okay? Oh, Brenda's not here. Are you Brenda? I saw you up here earlier. Okay, good. Brenda's the board chair. <laughs> and if you have a problem with anything in church and you can't get heard, she's where the buck stops. Talk with Brenda. Yeah, she's not here. Okay. Um, t- don't tell her I said that. No. Talk with Brenda. She's, she's where the, the ultimate buck stops. Um, and... Um, and then if after all these things doesn't work, if, if you run in time and time again to, to issues and, and things aren't changing, then maybe it's time to leave. Okay? So this is how to leave a church. Oh, wait, there's one more bullet point. Let's say I lied. Okay. The reason is to leave a church. If you're going, okay, if those are all the reasons to stay, there are good reasons to leave a church. You don't respect the pastor leadership. There's immoral or unethical practices happening there. There's fights or dissensions in the church. The church is out to lunch theologically. The music is idolatrous. You've resolved that no church is perfect because you know what? You're not going to find a perfect church. And if you've come to terms with that, good. Because <laughs> you're not going to find a, good, a perfect church. Leadership is not leading the church or is over-controlling. You live too far away from the church. The church is just using you. And you have no heart left for the, for vision, for the vision of the church or you sense your work is finished. There have been some people who have left grassroots. Oh, good. I've got some time. Uh, no heart who've left grassroots, sorry, uh, people who've left grassroots who are passionate about something that grassroots hasn't made sort of uh, inroads in. Like, for example, uh, I'm just going to say this. So there, there are a few people who have a, have a large passion for uh, working with First Nations Christians in First Nations churches and, and doing ministry in that setting. And uh, I believe, here's what I'm going to say about this. I believe that if, barring no catastrophe, kata- 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 catastrophes, that's the word, barring no catastrophes, in 10 years from now, if all, all goes well, grassroots is, will be a leading church in um, working with First Nations people. Not as a focus, but as a group of European people and First Nations people, believers who are working together to bring forth God's kingdom. I believe we'll be forefront. And not only that, probably in the area, but the region. That's... I, I, I think so. And I think we'll begin seeing fruits of that in five years. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to wait five years or ten years to start working on this. We start working on this now, and we are. It's going to take five, ten years of hard work to get there. All that to say, there are people who are like, I want that to be true now. And it's just not yet. And so they've left. They've gone to other churches for whom it's true now. And I think the, the valid reason. They were called to that particular community, and they've left. Um, so here's the thing. God may be saying, your work is done here or done there. That's okay. But make sure to be discerning, because here's how, what it comes down to. Oh, last thing. <laughs> There's lots of last things today. I'm not being fed. This is supposed to be me, okay? I tried to find a cow that looked most like me. I think the ears got it right. <laughs> I'm not being fed. I'm just going to put a specific point on this because you hear it a lot. I, I, heard, I came across this idea this week. It was brilliant. I'm not being fed. Okay, being fed milk is different than being fed meat. And you get this metaphor in the scriptures. Go beyond being fed milk and go get, getting meat. And people are like, I'm just getting fed milk at church. I'm not getting fed meat. I'm going to go elsewhere. Well, here's the thing. What is milk other than food that someone else has already processed. 
Like, I don't think that I'm at any church or no one's going to be able to give you something that's meat. Anything that I'm giving you on Sunday morning, I've processed. I've chewed on it. I've worked hard on it. And I'm giving it to you. And that's milk. You're never going to be fed meat uh, unless you're chewing on it and you're digesting it and you're working hard on it, okay? So uh, I, just, I just think when I hear that, I'm not being fed there. It's just, there's just so many things that are, are so many issues that come up with it. Um, so, uh, again, we don't get, go to places to get fed. We go places to feed one another. Um, God intends for us to settle down with a group of Christian friends who become our sources of strength, help, support, compassion, comfort, service, and who journey with us through the Bible and as we develop strong spiritual muscles. That's what the church is. That's what we're here to do. Um, and here, here's just a conclusion. I know I said a lot, but just to conclude this for us. Most people leave church just before a critical breakthrough. If you think you're going to leave a church, have at least three hard conversations. Remember, this, that, leaders, remember that leaders see more than you do. Leaders see the whole picture, though this doesn't give them the right to be authoritarian. If you think you're going to leave a church, consult your family, friends, and others. And bottom line, church is a calling. You may, bring, you may be the one to bring the change that a church needs. Okay, to close off here. So here's Peter. He's dripping. Um, he's dripping, and he comes, and this is what happens. When, when they finish breakfast, um, after G- they, 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 they ate, uh, Jesus does something to Peter. He does something three times. Uh, he's, he he takes him aside. They probably go for a little walk. We get the impression that they're going for a little walk together, just he and Peter. Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He says to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Okay, for every denial, he's going to get a rehabilitation. And it's always going to come with this. I have a job for you to do. Feed somebody. Feed somebody else. A second time he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to them a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And then Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him this. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, You will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And after he said this, he said, follow me. And in those just two words, follow me, Peter's mind must have rushed back to Jesus' teaching. I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. I lay down my life for my sheep. And I will complete that task because I love them. And then I will lead my sheep out into abundant pastures and they will follow me because they know my voice. And where is Jesus going but to the cross? To a place he didn't want to go, but went for the world. And when we ask ourselves about relationships and about community and about church as mature Christians, we end up realizing that God leads us places to where we do do not want to go. Sometimes it's not great. Sometimes there's real problems. Sometimes there's hard conversations we need to have. Um, the church is a calling. 
And when we, when we, when we bring that together, we, um, we end up feeding one another the, the bread of life. So next week, we'll, we'll, closing down in the series about the resurrection, we'll talk about uh, how to serve, how to serve in a church setting and looking at the, the Great Commission, the things that Jesus wants us to do as a church. Um, but for today, I know I've given you a lot. I've given probably you have two gallons of milk. <laughs> uh, but the point is not that you have, will remember this all in a week. I probably won't remember everything I've said in a week. The point of this is through this time of, of discerning God's word, maybe God has been saying something to you. Maybe you're, you're here at Grassroots and you've got a lot of gifts that another church needs. Or maybe you're thinking about coming to Grassroots. Um, or whatever, whatever God has said to you, maybe he's spoken about relationships or your workplace. Whatever he said to you. Uh, the invitation is that we come forward to remember his sacrifice and remember the type of love that we are meant to embody in this world, a love that is faithful and hopeful. So the invitation is to take a piece of bread which symbolizes his body and to dip it into the juice which symbolizes his blood and to take it in you as a way to say, Jesus, your selfless love, your faithfulness in hard times, I take into myself and bring whatever it is God spoke to you. And we have two songs left. I went long again today, I'm sorry. Two songs left and uh, we'll uh, spend that time. I mean, I know that we've got places to be Maybe our bellies are getting a bit hungry. But there's a chance here for the next 10 minutes or so to, to continue meeting with the living God in a mysterious way to bring whatever he's spoken to you, to respond to him. And this is that time. So the table is set, friends, and everybody here is welcome.